Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Rap Chat from FNI, from myself, Paul Webster, and the very lovely, uh, the very lovely Paul Butler Lennox. Uh, yeah, this is um, this is our first. Uh, we're very very excited to have uh, the wonderful Nick Kelly, um, who has directed a lovely piece of work called uh, "The Drummer and the Keeper." Nick uh, may be familiar to some of you. He was in a band called The Fat Lady Sings. Uh, he's most well known for that. Um, and he's been a copywriter for years and a wonderful all-around guy. And uh, yeah, we're delighted to have him. Um, and just before we get to the interview, um, just to give a little introduction to ourselves, uh, people probably know who Paul is uh, from his work with Film Network Ireland. Uh, I'm a filmmaker, a writer, um, and I guess one of the reasons I wanted to uh, get involved with the podcast was just to have conversations with people who are making stuff in Ireland. Uh, we listen to a lot of kind of podcasts that are kind of American and they're very, they're great, but it's really good to hear homegrown talent and, you know, being able to hear people who have similar struggles to ourselves. Yeah, I guess just also to alleviate, uh, you know, the pressure of the filmmaking environment and get some advice and some nuts and bolts kind of information from people who are out there doing it at various different uh, levels of experience, like uh, people who were, um, you know, starting out, uh, people uh, and uh, from across the, the medium as well, people who are involved in music, uh, sound composition, um, sound uh, composers and so on, as well as directors and actors, as actors, 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 uh, and just anybody who has a, a hand in the Irish, you know, film industry, and we hope that you like it. And we're we're quite new to this, um, so thanks everybody who's helping us. Uh, very grateful to the help from West uh, for the help from Westland Studios, um, who are who are helping us with a studio space here. Uh, and equally, I'd like to just take a minute just to uh, let people know, I guess, um, about our. Uh, our writing uh, two-day workshop with uh, Mary-Kate and uh, Rachel O'Flanagan, which is coming up on the 14th and 15th of October. It's quite intensive, um, uh, and it should be, I, I think, of, of great help to people who are uh, either about to start the process of, of writing either their first short or if they're a bit further down the line in terms of a, a feature script, um, it'll be a you know a really interesting um, excavational tool to uh, to get where you need to go. Um, so yeah, the tickets are available uh, via Brent, uh, Eventbrite. Now I can say that. Uh, and yeah, it's worth getting involved. We have uh, early bird uh, early bird tickets, um, which are available up until the thirtieth of. September, um, and then it goes up a little bit in terms of price, but it's still very affordable, so jump on it. I did a course with the Flanagan sisters a few years ago um, when I was writing my first script, uh, first feature script, and it really helped me uh, get things in order, and kind of, it, it was very inspirational, it was really good, so I would recommend. So our first guest, uh, we're very happy to say, is Nick Kelly, is the director of The Drummer and the Keeper. Um this film is currently in cinemas. Uh, check out The Lighthouse and the IFI. We totally recommend it. Uh, absolute pleasure to talk to.
with uh, Nick Kelly. Um, thanks so much for coming in. We really appreciate it. You're most welcome. Um, so a lot of people would know you as uh, a singer, singer-songwriter and frontman of The Fat Lady Sings. Um, was mer- music always your first love or, or was film always there competing? No, I didn't know anything about film for years and years. I mean, I think all the way through The Fat Lady Sings, I was just I was so focused on being uh, my a pop star or a rock star. <laughs> Well, I'm failing to be one. And I, I kind of, my main experience of film in those days was just being in terrible videos. I was in so many terrible videos. Right. Um, and the only thing I learned or I brought from that experience was just was to, just to never do that to anybody else. Um, <laughs> and I was, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think, I, I, you know, and it's funny, I didn't even do art in school or anything. I didn't really particularly mess around with cameras or any of that stuff. I think I was always interested in storytelling. Okay. So I always wrote and I think that was a thing. And then I kind of, one of the things people used to say about the songs and have always said about songs right through is that they were always written in a very, in quite a visual way. So which is interesting. And then I, after The Fat Lady Sings, I stumbled into writing ads. And I think I all the ads I wrote were really visual in the sense of like lots of them didn't have any dialogue at yeah. all and I think that was so no I mean film was a thing I, it was only really when I was working on ads and then when you work on ads you're on the other side of the camera Yeah, you're not the idiot standing in the street miming you are uh, you're suddenly part of all of that you can see how it's put together much yeah. more and you go especially in advertising much more than you would in screenwriting you mean you choose the directors you go to all the castings, you go to all the shoots, and you spend weeks and weeks in post because you've got to bring it back to the client. Okay. So it's kind of like a, a brilliant crash course in in filmmaking, actually. Is that um, your are you kind of creative director as a writer then? In I well, you know what? I never know what title ever to give myself. So I've it's just to be absolutely clear and yeah. for for you know to, to not you know to be honest. I have never had the job of create. I've only had one job in advertising, and my job was copywriter or sometimes senior copywriter. Okay. But I, um, what a creative does in advertising, even what the difference between a copywriter and an art director is, or a creative director, I think it's really nebulous. I mean, okay. there's two bits to it. There's conceptual and executional. Now. So, you know, traditionally, the copywriter is the person who goes to all the sound recordings and you write the scripts. You actually do the writing. Okay. Traditionally, the art director goes to all the f- the photo shoots and, you know, will brief the photographers and will end up doing all the layouts. But in and, terms of the, and, and eat all the Danishes as well. Eh, uh, well, no, we all eat the Danishes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but actually, the person who has the idea could be anybody it could be either of you or it could be both of you or it could be your crap idea which they suddenly see an interesting bit of and I think that's the other thing which is very interesting about advertising is that it's a brutally collaborative space in the sense that you know nobody cares who has the good idea it just has to be the best idea in the room and sometimes god forbid the client might have the best idea and you do have to I think you learn to honor the best idea and I think that that's if if there was only one thing that I could tell my younger... Well, actually, funnily enough, I think I made all these mistakes in rock and roll so that by the time I got to, to advertising, and certainly by the time I got to film, I'd sort of learnt them. But mm. the biggest thing I could offer somebody starting out is uh, it doesn't have to be your idea, it just has to be the best idea. And that, you know, you should... Anytime you work with somebody, um, 
you should be open to whatever they bring because you're, they're going to change. As soon as you're working in collaboration with other people, they're going to change your vision anyway. So you may as well empower them to change it for the better. So you'd consider yourself a, a collaborator in that respect? I Oh, I, I really do now. I don't think I was always uh, good at it, but I, I hope, I'm, I think I'm, I'm sure I couldn't be even better, but I really try. I mean, I, I, what I really think is that um, I think the biggest thing that you do is casting in, in both sides of the camera yeah. is the people you choose, the people you work with. And once you've got that bit right and you're, and you're also pointing in the right direction, I think it's much more fun if you're collaborative, really. And, and you know, in the end, I mean, you... I mean, you're in the edit suite, you know, like you can decide it uh, fundamentally at the end. But, but you know, why would you shut off those ideas? And, you know, and, uh, you know, and actors have brilliant ideas and, you know, your, your DOP will have brilliant ideas and your editor will have brilliant ideas. And a lot of the time they're better than your ideas. And, you, you know, that's a gift which you have to, you have to learn to accept. Yeah, and embrace. I mean, how, for example, how would you cast... You have a very specific method of casting, or are you open to uh, finding new talent, or uh, they're specific? Do you write with people in mind specifically? Uh, and I'd said it's a mugs game to write with people in mind, <laughs> uh, completely because you'll never get them. Um, I love casting; I, I it's always really interesting. Anybody walks in, so the first thing to say about casting, and this is what you really also learn from advertising, is quite often before somebody hits the mark almost, before they line up and just introduce themselves. You kind of know if they're not right for this particular thing. Mm-hmm. And you should always, nevertheless, you, they, should always, they should always feel able to do their work and you should always watch their work. Uh, because for, partially, first of all, you could be wrong. But the second thing is, and this has very often happened, is I've often cast somebody who was wrong for a thing that they'd come and, and read for me, but I remembered their energy and that thing they had. And later I said, that is, we should get that person in for this Transferable one. Transferable yeah. Well, I think there's three things about casting. I think there's your, you know, are you six foot, you know, your physical attributes. Are you six foot three? Are you a woman? Are you, you know, 22 or 78? I mean, these are things that, you know, broadly speaking, are you know, if that's you have those things, you've got your skills and your experience. You know, your chops. So you know, those things are. You know, you see people who are really, really. There are differences in levels of 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 skill that you see, and and you know, you can if you've got a really skillful actor, you can try things that sometimes you can, are harder to try with somebody who's less skillful. In, but actually, the really interesting thing, which nobody can really spoof, and nobody can really justify is energy and everybody's got their own sort of energy yeah and i think no more than if you're falling in love with another human when you respond to an actor a lot of the time you know all things being equal some somebody will come in and they'll suddenly knock you sideways just well, it's something ma- magic essentially it's inexplicable it's a connection that mm. you have and it's and I sort of I kind of trust myself in that because just I know I'm going to spend a lot of time with that person and and especially you know it's really interesting The Drummer and the Keeper is a film that is uh, made very quickly in its shooting like we shot in 20 days we've got a very big cast 
we didn't do lots of takes. We, you know, it's very, it's, it's quite a, it's quite an ambitious movie in terms of like locations and yeah. action and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did get quite a bit of rehearsal, and that was very important. But you know, fundamentally, when you choose somebody, you know that you're going to have to trust them, and you know that like just that, even the the feel that you have, if you if you're you know if you're kind of right about that, like that's that's really important because you're going to be out in some other space and yeah. that's what you're going to be wanting to re- rekindle or so recapture. It's instinctual, essentially. You have to go with your instinct. I kind of think you do. I, I, I really think you do. But I, what I would also say is that, you know, different energies are right for different roles. And, you know, I, I've, I've often had the thing of casting people between projects, like where I'll see somebody who isn't right for one thing, but I'll cast them another thing. Yeah. I've also had the thing of within a project, seeing somebody for one thing, and not really buying them in that, yeah. but then really buying them in another role. And that's really interesting. And that requires, um, like, it's an awful, it's a beautiful thing to be an actor, and it's a terrible thing to be an actor. It's so insecure making. <laughs> and I, I'm familiar with that process. And, and, I, and I just always say, you know, like, you know, whenever you go in, like, just do your work. Because you don't, especially if there's lots of people at a table. Yeah. I, mean, that, I think that TV thing or that ad yeah. thing, like, you can't, you don't know where the, yeah, discussion lies, mm-hmm. and and people sometimes are very. You can get like you can't read more than two people or three people. So actually, it's much better for you just to go in and bring in your bring in your character and just do that and just be mm-hmm. quite Buddhist about it. And I think you'll you know the biggest thing is not to get in your own way. Mm-hmm. But I think if you do that, you know you'll you'll what's it, that's that's what's meant for you won't go by you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, that thing. I could just ask you about the uh, just the inception of the project, <clears throat> uh, the drummer and the keeper, about the Catalyst project that you were involved mm. in with uh, the Irish Film Board. How did you find that process um, from start to the work on the piece during the project, and then in terms of executing that af- afterwards? Sure. Was it was it an enjoyable experience? Was it difficult at times? How was it for you? I mean, the first thing to say is it's a totally fantastic thing to have happened to me and <laughs> I would suggest strongly that anybody uh, you know who has the ambition to make a feature film uh, you, I mean you have you know in Ireland I mean you should definitely take it seriously because I had made a short film about five, um, in sort of 2000 and, uh, well 2010 and, and 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 we had done really well with that short film sure wasn't it yeah, yeah. and I had thought okay I'm totally going to get yeah. the money to make a feature film now. And I'd been writing a feature script and I had a, I had a couple of feature ideas brought through to a certain level. And, and then I spent the next three years kind of going in and you know, pitching to funders like these ideas and, you know, and scripts and, you know, treatments and, and people generally thinking, oh, no, this is really good. It's really interesting, really nice. But nobody fundamentally saying, go off and make it. Yes. Yeah. And I found that Im- immensely frustrating. And... um and then when the Catalyst thing was announced, I felt I could not go for it because it had been seven years since they'd done one. Yeah. And at so least just it, to explain what Catalyst so, is. So what Catalyst is, is that it's an Irish Film Board initiative for first-time feature filmmakers. Uh, and they put out a call in, I think it was 2014, in November or something like that, or, uh, or and they asked for... Yeah, well, they had 400 places. I think about 700 people or something went for it. But they had 400 places on it. And that was first-time filmmakers by which they defined a writer, a director, or a producer who had never made a feature film. 
helmed feature film. And of those 400, I mean, 350 were writer-directors and 50 were producers. So there's two seminars in over two weekends in Croke Park. And we all went there and there was various talks and Lenny got up and did a talk and Jim Sheridan got up and did a talk, you know, and, you know, Audrey from Element talked about marketing and, you know, it was kind of quite a helpful thing. But the real idea was that it was a sort of like a, a, a like, a, you know, speed dating that you're all supposed <laughs> to meet each other. And I didn't really know very many people. So in the 10 days between those two weekends, there were two, there was like a week, fallow weekend. I just tried to take a, you know, sort of do research on every single producer there. I made a short list of about 10 who I thought were were interesting and seemed to be experienced enough to be funded. And I tried to meet as many of those for coffee in the 10 days in between. And I met, I think, seven of them for coffee. And I met Kate McCulgan, who produced The Drummer and the Keeper and did such a fantastic job. And, I, you know, I met another producer. I did go in with two projects. I went, I had a different producer. Um, and so, and when I tell people that, I know it sounds... Uh, very, it sounds very type A and kind of, you know, swatty and <laughs> like, uh, and but I just felt desperate because I felt that I, if I didn't get one of these pieces of funding, I could be spending another three or four years hacking around trying to trying to persuade somebody to say yes. And it just seemed, you know, people, the odds, you're sort of thinking one in 400 is really tough odds. And then you're thinking, well, it's better odds than getting into Sundance or it's better odds than anything yeah. else. So, and actually, you know, so 89 projects went in in the end. And uh, there was quite a short, so I did it myself and there was, like, I think the seminars ha- happened and then the deadline was... About three March. months. Well, yeah, so about, um, well, there was Christmas. It, it, was, it was the end of November. So you had sort of December, January, February, March. And I deliberately hadn't written anything. I'd, I'd, for, for the drummer and the keeper, I had uh, an outline. And uh, I, but I deliberately not written anything because I also wanted to see and to not be, to again work out what is the the price of entry for this competition. Yeah. To understand, to listen in the room and see what are they looking for. And so I wrote that script and got somebody to read it like a, and then rewrote it in the three months and I did the same with the other project actually so it was very very intense yeah. three month writing so you went in essentially boxing clever and trying to tick boxes obviously to keep well, you know, the, uh, the integrity yeah. of the pieces of work you were working towards but also okay what are they looking for and what can I do to alleviate my well I, th- I think I think it's hard to box clever really I think you can avoid boxing stupid that's what <laughs> I was trying to do I was trying to not make a, a, a fundamental mistake yeah, yeah. in 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 kind of what I was pitching and, and, in, and you know, for example, there wasn't a requirement that you, they didn't say you have to send, put in a finished script, but I mean, it became absolutely clear that most people will be submitting finished scripts yeah. and you needed to be submitting that. Yeah. Um, we did a very, we put in like quite a serious presentation. I like had lots of references and mood boards and like, you know, I took a lot of trouble on it. Um, I think probably the biggest question that people would have asked. So we got down to the nine. We got shortlisted. Mm-hmm. So that was March was the submission. I think the shortlisting happened in September. I think there was interviews in October of 2015. I'm going to say. No, it was 2014. It's all a bit of a blur to me. No, I think it was 2014, actually, cause, because uh, we, we went in. There's nine people shortlisted, and then we did a presentation, and we were lucky enough to get one of the three Projects. I mean, some of the other projects that got to the nine, I think, have been funded in different ways. 
Um, and the board always said that they were, they wouldn't, you know, if you got there, they would be looking anyway for other projects. And then I rewrote the script 24 times between that October and the and the February of 2015. Am I getting this right? Which is when we, we uh, no, 2016. 16, yeah. yeah. So there was a basically 14 months of, of um, rewriting, casting, pre-production. So it was, it, it was very quick to get the funding, the bit of work, mm. and then to get it right so it was actually shootable in 20 days and, and good uh, took quite a lot longer. Uh, so going from that, so if you just go back to the actual, actual writing of, mm. of the script, when you sat down, um, do you have did you have something you wanted to say with the film or did you just kind of let it, let it flow? I mean, I think you always, well, first of all, you don't know what you have to say. Yeah. That's the really important thing. You know, sorry, you know you have, you know there's something that strongly wants to be said by you, but what it is, is mysterious to you. I mean, that was generally my experience in all creative things. You know there's something bugging you, like a piece of sand in the shell of an oyster. Uh, whether that is a piece of excrement or a pearl, we would find out later, but there is something that's very driving you. I think I was very, I, I was very struck by, there's two things I think for me that, that I was very struck by the idea of unlikely friendship and genuinely I've in my life generally I've found that uh, at moments of deep crisis the the correct friendships that you have so carefully curated are useless to you generally not through their own fault but they just they're the wrong people because you've suddenly in crisis become a different person and the weirdest people come out of the woodwork and they're helpful and those are the so I've always I've I've noticed that in my own life, and I've just seen in other people's lives that actually at times of crisis, the kind of the the version of yourself, including the 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 portfolio of friends that you have, is is just it all's on the it's all the scrap heap really, and emotionally you need something else, and that something else often appears from the most unlikely source. I mean, like a, a kind of a weird um, kind of hobgoblin angel like comes into your life and that's the person you need so I had that idea and then I had this idea of two characters really based on two things that I kind of felt I knew one was um, dysfunctional rock and roll people and having been in rock and roll I knew a lot of them or I'd seen a lot of them and including people I think I didn't really realise that there might be a mental health issue going on with them but and you know rock and roll was tolerant or even encouraging of kind of extreme behavior so you sort of could get away with stuff mm. and or it could be quite masked and then I also have a child with autism so I've I've spe- I sort of spend a lot of time around the sort of autism and that whole world and I felt I kind of knew that so I think when I was thinking of that unlikely friendship the friendship between the up and down of bipolar disorder and the sort of the the incredible, straight unvarying line. straight line of, of, you know, somebody with autism when they're really trying to keep out all of the up and down. <laughs> yeah. um, that seemed like a really irresistible clash. Brilliant. And if you could tell us about, so once you've got the script and, and everything's got the green light, just the, the period before, so your, kind of your rehearsal, and how, how did you kind of approach that, say, working with your actors and getting, those, getting them ready? 
I mean, one of the brilliant things that, in fairness, Kate, uh, uh, who produced the film, did was that she nagged the agents and and, you know, and the actors into giving us like several weeks of rehearsal. And that was kind of the making of the film, especially on a low budget film, because you are going to shoot so quickly when you hit the, hit the set. Everybody just totally needs to know who they are. Uh, and that yeah, and no, time for hanging around. no, so we 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 workshopped everything. Every scene we we rehearsed. We brought the guys who were playing people with autism into an autism drama group, and spent a lot of time. They spent a lot of time embedded in the autism drama group, and then in fact, we used loads of the people from the autism drama group as extras in the scenes which are set in the in the unit that's in, in the autism residential unit in the film. And then similarly uh, for Dermot's character, uh, Gabriel, uh, the drummer, um, we, you know, I introduced him to quite a few musician friends of mine who have had mental health kind of issues and had been in that life. And we went to St. Pat's. We did a lot of we did a lot of rehearsals, the rock and roll stuff in the music centre because I wanted to bring the actors into a sort of a grungy place for. So we, you know, we. I felt that was kind of gold, actually, that time. Yeah, it made it more authentic, obviously. I think it just meant that everybody knew there was no surprises, really, on set, you know. And the shooting itself went smooth enough. I find, I love shooting. Yeah. I think once you, it's like once you're, like, I find it really exciting. It's like being on stage, though, as well, because even when things go wrong, you know, a lot of time that's kind of great as well. It's oftentimes when something, you have to plan very carefully, but then when things go wrong, it, it often opens a kind of, a sort of another weird door opens sometimes if you're awake to it. I mean, sometimes you have to just uh, be ready to adjust. So that's yeah. part of it. But the other thing is sometimes the thing goes wrong suggests a new thing to you that's really, really interesting. And I think, I just think all of that stuff, I mean, that's really, because in some ways it's incredibly helpful being a kind of, I mean, as a director, I'm technically quite inept in in a lot of ways in the sense I don't really I mean I kind of have a camera and I do I do think visually and I do think about shots like I think about the but you know in terms of like you know the shutter speed that I like and you know that stuff like I'll I'll lean very heavily on you know the people around me but I think what's really good is it allows me to really um, sort of declutter so I actually do think of what's going on with these characters, and that's very, I think. So you concentrate on characters and developing yeah, relationships. And, and, well, and, and just, and you know, and what's, what's, what's going on in the shot, you know, what's going on in the scene? What, did you, what do we feel about this? Or am I buying this? Am I, am I enjoying this? Or is, it, is there something, would it be weird if instead of him hitting her, uh, or she hit him, or he, you know, just being awake, being, when you're, because, you, yeah, and I think that's, kind of really obvious thing but it's no like all the technical stuff that you shouldn't be worrying about as a director yeah. i mean except for it'll steal time so yeah. sometimes people will tell you you don't have much time left because this thing is broken yeah but you should try to as little as possible you should try to outsource everything like that so you can really create a little story bubble when you're there and I think that's the biggest thing is to you and the actors but I mean and also sorry you're you know everybody who makes the film is making the film yeah. so everybody's in the yeah. story bubble but you you know you just they've just got an arm of in you know like yeah. Yeah. so you need their arm like you don't all the other bits of them which are dealing with you yeah. know the sandwiches and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know the, the light bulbs bra- breaking you mean you don't have to know about that bit yeah. you, but you know it's sunset so can you give me a little you know help me here yeah but you so i think that's the thing is to have to have your story bubble yeah so yeah very much get a great team together trust them and let them do their job yeah and enjoy you know there's it's it's energy there's a i mean sometimes some some things get very te- technical and you have to be more cerebral about have we got this but I mean there was only two days where I looked at rushes myself partially because I knew there was no time to go back and it was just two stunts we did where I just wanted to make sure we pulled it off so but generally you know if I feel if you know I I I call it quite quickly actually if I think we're if I think it's good I'd I'd sooner I'd sooner keep the intensity up you know and keep everybody in yeah keep moving and and build on that in yeah. terms of the jump, so you've had a lot of very successful shorts and then ads obviously are, are short. The jump in time, so your, the amount of time you, you're shooting, so keeping your energy up, and then the kind of marathon that is post-production. How, how did you kind of manage that? Well, uh, to take it in reverse order, I mean, I'm very used to spending a lot of time in post-production. Okay. I mean, on Tom Crean, who did that Guinness ad, I probably spent six weeks in, in, a, in an edit suite in London. Uh, uh, you know, I like including like several days with the people doing the artificial snow. Like there's okay. people in Soho, their only job is they're called snow business. I think there's two of them actually. <laughs> there's there's, there's no business like snow. Yeah, business. and and like you know, so so I have spent a lot of time in those things. And there's a funny thing as well where I mean, post production's kind of it's much more yogic or philosophical. Like you have to yeah. sort of go away and yeah. let things happen. And then come back and you try stuff out a lot. And it's quite a um, discursive, sort of philosophical, sort of feminine. Sh- how do we feel about this kind of space? As opposed to, so I I generally, I'm very used to that. And even it's like making records. I mean, being in studios is very like that. You know, there's real parallels between rock and roll and film for me. Like incredibly, incredible amounts of things. There's but, a duality. Yeah, I've kind of become very used to And there's also, it also has those two things where there's also a sort of a, okay, you're on, which is like you're shooting or you're on stage. And yeah. that, that sort of adrenaline thing. I think for me, the hardest bit, to be honest, is the waiting to get to do it, yeah. I found. I found that took, every time I rewrote a draft, I found that achingly hard. And I, you have to do it thinking this is, the definitive one and then you present it and then they say you have made such great progress <laughs> this is so brilliant I love what you've done here look and you're just waiting for the butt yeah. you know and so and I'm but you know I have to admit that it's it's a much better film for you know I mean, a lot of the, the rewriting was also to do with practical stuff as well but um I think the biggest jump from short stuff to to longer stuff is um it is in the writing it's in, you know, as opposed to in the directing, because in a funny kind of a way, if you felt it on the page, if you can get used to the beats of a feature on the page, by the time you get to shoot it, you you know, shooting, you're always, you can only ever look six feet ahead of yourself shooting. Yeah. You know, you're thinking, OK, we've got to get this thing and this thing and this thing. Yeah. Did we get this thing? Do we get this thing? Yeah. There's a bit of you know there is an arc with the actor a bit and the actors have to do you know they have to do work and you you know you have that but I kind of find once you've if you've done it on the page 
And that's really, I found that the sweating around the track yeah. of of getting a feature script sort of singing and where you are carried through when you read it. Once you've done that and you can and you feel that you have done that, I think the, sh- the shooting of it is not hard. Yeah. The cheapest, your, the cheapest time is your own. Yep. Yeah. No, there's no, there's, there's, I mean, it's, yeah, <laughs> though it is expensive. <laughs> it's it is expensive. It's yeah. expensive on but, you. But, uh, but yeah, no, no, of course, of course. Days, yeah. No, no, of course. But it's the, but it makes you know it makes sense. I do. I think, and I mean, I'm I'm writing a feature at the moment. I just I've been, you know, I'm, I'm writing, rewriting a new draft for another project, and I've just got notes, and I've gone working through the notes, and there's some of the notes I don't agree with, and some of the notes I do agree with, but I'm not sure how to to fix them, and then <laughs> and then some of them, and I, and I sort of, but I you know, went around for a run today, and. There was one little chunk of stuff. I suddenly had a kind of a good idea about how to fix that. So yeah. we'll start with that. Yeah, you know, and it's it's but it's um, I mean, writing is hell, you know. But like, it's I've done it all my life, so I kind of I'm used to that hell. That's what I said. It's a nice dry heat. That's what I said, <laughs> I said right. <laughs> Can I ask you just to, just one or two things just to finish up? Sure. Um, just about rejection, especially for young filmmakers who might be listening. Oh, I'm glad you're going to ask me about how this. How do you deal with being turfed out? Okay, I think it's really important you understand that... So two things are really important to understand. First of all, the best thing that you will ever do, you won't know it when you're doing it. (laughs) The trick is quality, quantity, not quality. The trick is to do a load of stuff with really good heart as best you can and somewhere in there will be the best thing you ever do. Okay? You don't know. If you're doing it right you won't be able to tell because actually it's not your brain giving stuff to other people's brains. It's your guts giving stuff to other people's guts. And oftentimes your brain doesn't realise what your guts wants to say. Or like I've so often as a songwriter had the experience of people coming up to saying, yeah, that song, that's about, that's about X, isn't it? I'd say, no, no, no. And then you're thinking, no, do you know what it is about X actually? And X sometimes is like a really embarrassing thing, which yeah. to be honest... You wouldn't have set out to write a song about. But I think what happens is you speak in a language that you don't understand, that the instinctive choices that you're drawn to make when you're writing. Yeah. So you find your way into an emotional truth, I guess. You're, I think that you, well, you can't help it. I think that, that if, you, if, you're, if you're doing things that are really alive for you, they're different to you as well. They have a life outside you. And like humans, they're di- you know they're mysterious to you sometimes. <laughs> so I, so that sounds like a really pretentious thing to say, but I no, believe it. No, no, no. But the thing that's really helpful then is then what you've just got to do is is accept that of every fifty things you try, two will work if you're lucky, and usually the two you least expect. And th- that might not be the same as the two best things you do or whatever, but. So I really think it's it's like a Buddhist thing is that you've got to, every time you go into something, don't sweat it. You know, there's no point. Like you've just got to go in with good heart and then see what happens. Mm. And, you know, if you can do that and not get discouraged or not get distracted, you'll get, you know, you'll get to do the good thing just because you've gone, you've just done so many things. <laughs> and I just think that that's, and, you know, and obviously, if a door opens, I mean, run as fast as you can through that door. 
well, yeah, when it does open, I mean, don't hang about. But I think I think that the rejection, I mean, I think rock and roll, you get a lot of rejection. I had a lot of rejection when I was a child, actually. I was like I was a very unpopular child, so I was very used to being rejected, I think. Then I went into rock and roll, which is like almost kind of comical levels of rejection at all times. <laughs> yeah. And then I went into advertising. And, you know, I wrote five scripts for Guinness, which got made, which is like, but I wrote over 300 scripts which got rejected to get those five made. Now, I just know for a fact that most other copywriters in, in Dublin didn't write 300 scripts, so they didn't get to make five ads for Guinness. I think that's, the, I honestly think, it's not like I think I'm smarter than all those other people. Yeah. I just think that I just kept throwing, throwing scripts at them. And then, and it's usually the weird thing, like all your best ones got shot down. It was like a weird little drummer boy kind of made it to the enemy trenches, you know, it's like weird. So I I, I just think that, you know, I just think I've had so much rejection in my life that I just, when I go into film, you know, I don't like it. I love, I love affirmation. I love it. I crave, I'm addicted to it. But I, I, I know that it's not my, it's not going to be like that mostly. That's great. I think that's a really nice place to leave it. Thanks so much for coming in. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks a million.